0: Okay, got a big question for you. What is God's will? Oh. <laughs> is everyone like, I want you to tell me. I... <laughs> what is God's will? Oh, yeah. Well, big loaded concept, God's will. Um, you know, we may ask questions like, is it God's will for me to be here at Summit? is it God's will for me to do missions? Right, we might ask that question. We might ask, is it God's will for me to be a pastor? Is it God's will for me to be a teacher? Is it God's will for me to go to this church or to go to that church? Is it God's will for me to be friends with that person and not with that person? Is it God's will for me to date that person or not date that person? Like now we're getting really real here. Is it God's will for me to get married or is it God's will for me to be single? Uh, uh, Right? These These are the questions that we ask. Like, what in the world is God's will for my life? That's kind of why we're here figuring this out, right? So I know like some of us want God's will to be sort of like a map, right? We sort of want God's will to be like a map where we just want to know where where are we going in life god like where are, where are you taking me right like what am i supposed to do in life and we might sort of approach that thinking from this place of saying like if we're really gung ho like maybe we're in september right we're in september mode and we're thinking ah. God, just give me the itinerary of my life and I will go your way. And you're like, and we're super gung-ho, right? Like, we're like that. And maybe if we're like, you know, this week or last week, you're like, oh God, just give me your itinerary and I'll go your way. <laughs> like, it's almost like this burden to take on God's will. And it's a bit of like, you know, where, where are we going, right? We think of God's will as a bit of a destination. Uh, And then if we don't think of it like a map or a destination, sometimes we think of God's will as a to-do list, right? So we think about, like, what are the tasks that I need to accomplish to be in God's will, right? What's my checklist? Anybody here checklist people? You're a checklist person? I love a checklist. I really like a highlighter list, not a check. I like a highlighter. It's just how I roll. I just like that. There's something satisfying about it. So anyways, we like our, our to-do list, our checklist, where we say like, check, I have read my Bible today. Yes, I have prayed today. Highlighter, I finished the SBC 30. Stroke that off the list, right? Woohoo!" Yeah, I fasted for the first time. Check, right? Like we have these checklists and we feel so accomplished and kind of holy and we're like, man, I am doing God's will. Check. But um, God's will isn't a checklist. Oh, Raiden is in the house. Oh, God's will isn't something measurable like a checklist, as we will soon find out. Uh, so our text that we've been going through in our Mimic and Model series talks a bit about God's will, but we do need a little bit of context. And my like wire is strange. Here we go. So let's get into, let's get our whole text to get our heads in the right spot so that we can then talk about God's will. So it'll be up on the screen. Here it is. Okay, let's read it through. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in, high, in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for your life. Oh, this is the will for you in Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. You know, fumble for emphasis. Do not quench, it's a joke. (laughs) Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Such a great text. Man, it is full of so much juice. It is something, it is a fruit that is being worth squeezing because there's so much juice in it. So what we have squeezed so far is that um, Paul begins this conclusion of the letter to 1 Thessalonians by, um, by compelling the Church of Thessalonica to honor their leaders, to respect their leaders, listen to their admonishment. But then he affirms, right, from We Learned This Last Week, he affirms that, well, everybody is a leader, right? Everybody has this pastoral responsibility to each other. And he offers up things that one would do to, um, to, to live out that responsibility to each other. And so he talks about, you know, warn the idle, encourage the dishearted, help the weak. Right, so then what he does is he does another shift. So we are like we're like zigging zagging through this text, and he zigs again, and he shifts from these specific directives that we looked at last week about being diligent and disciplined, and then he lands with this loaded statement of a spiritual encouragement, and he says, "And our text today is rejoice always." Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's God's will for you and for me. To pray continually, rejoice always, and to give thanks. It's not a destination. It's not a profession. It's not a relationship. It's not a system or a structure. It's not even particular tasks that Paul himself have outlined that just a couple of verses before. Now, while all of those things are very important to God because you are important to God, his will is to rejoice always, to pray continually, and to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, the way that Paul puts these three statements together, one commentator talks about how it's, it's a really unique and a strategic strategy in the way that he's put these three things together. And he actually su- suggests that Paul is kind of using these three, think of it like a tent. Like that. So think of it like prayer continually is like the center pole of a tent. That's the thing that holds the tent up right. And then we have rejoicing always and pray continually in all circumstances sort of flanking the center bit, the center point. That's the strong center. When we pray without ceasing, we will rejoice always. When we pray without ceasing, we will give thanks in all circumstances. The pray without ceasing is our center pole to the will of God. So let's talk about praying continually. Tall order. Pause for effect. Okay, so Paul testified earlier on in this chapter, or in this book, in chapters 1 and chapter 3, that he has been praying for this church. He has a concern for this church. He's been praying for them. He's modeling for us and for the church what it means to be a prayer, somebody who commits to lifting up another person to the Lord. And as we see throughout Scripture and in Paul's writings, we see that he is often praying for others alone. He's often praying for others in community. He's praying in times of great distress, like when he's in jail and when he's in prison. Um, He's uh, praying in the spirit. He's praying in his native tongue. He's showing us and modeling what it means to pray continually. Paul models for us and then compels us to be mindful of the need that we have and the ability to have fellowship with God all the time. We're challenged in Romans, another one of Paul's writings in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, that through petition, thanksgiving, and praise, that we must persevere in prayer. And we're challenged to practice being in the presence of God, to build up a compulsion, to build up a compulsion to communicate with God, to pray continually. We know, Paul shows us, but we know praying is saying something, right? We know that. We have a general understanding that praying is saying something to God. And it, And really this idea of having praying continually is this compulsion to pray. This prayer that cultivates an awareness of God's presence in our lives, whether it's in the exciting times, whether it's in the mundane times. When we are in that place of of constant prayer, we are aware of the sacred. We are aware of God. And this leads to joy. But this doesn't mean that prayer is just speaking. We know this, just a reminder. Not all prayers get uttered, do they? In some moments, often the deepest, most truest communion with God happens in voiceless and wordless communication. Often in points of pain where we can't say anything at all. God meets us there. Now, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, he talks about an experience that he had, where he's experiencing the divine nature of God. And he says, it was things which were not possible for a person to utter. It was too big, too massive to wrap his words around. So perhaps prayer is saying nothing. And the more that we understand what prayer is, the less we feel so compelled or the less we feel like it lands and it has to land with words and talking. Again, Paul sort of highlights this fact again in Romans chapter eight, verse 26. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness when we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself, intercedes for us through wordless groans. So perhaps while prayer is saying something and prayer is not saying anything, perhaps prayer is also allowing the Holy Spirit to pray through us. Perhaps prayer is listening. So there's this American journalist whose name is Dan Rather. And he was interviewing Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, a modern day saint who's dead, but like she's a modern day saint. Modern in like a general sense. It's okay. Like that's okay. Okay. But anyways, he's talking to Mother Teresa, and he says to Mother Teresa, what do you say when you pray? And in her Mother Teresa way, she says, I don't. Ooh, I listen. So she says, I don't. I listen. So then Dan Rather says to Mother Teresa, Well then, if you don't say anything, well then what does God say? And she says, He doesn't. He listens. Ceaseless prayer is the essence of knowing and having that the the consciousness that God is present, that we are in the presence of God. We're both can be listening to each other. It is a habit of referring everything to him. At every moment when it comes, at every moment where we're doing something, it's bringing it to him. That's praying continually. And the reason why I wanted to highlight what prayer is, is that we have a tendency. I, I have a tendency to start to turn my prayer seat, my prayer, which I'm supposed to do ceaselessly, into some sort of checklist. Because I got people to see. I got things to do. If I'm going to pray, pray ceaselessly, I got to like organize my life. Am I right? Like, hello, am I the only one who does this and thinks like this? Okay, no, I'm not alone. Tyrell and I, we're together, man. Yeah. We don't share clothes and we try to list stuff. Excellent. Okay. Perhaps, perhaps we don't need to trouble ourselves with figuring out the task of ceaseless prayer. Perhaps we don't have to task this one. Perhaps we can allow in the duties of our lives, in the rhythms of our lives, when things go up and when things go down, we could say something or we could say nothing. We could listen and so could God. We could allow the Holy Spirit to pray through us. God has given us many, many ways of praying so that we don't make it into a checklist or a destination. When we pray as our center pole of our tent, it changes the way that we look at life. It changes when we are in ceaseless prayer with the Lord, acknowledging his presence in our lives, when we are practicing to be in the presence of God working on building a compulsion in ourselves because newsflash compulsion doesn't just come easy it's a choice but when we choose to when we choose to take that time to say something or not to listen to let the holy spirit speak into us that changes the way we look at life it brings joy into our life so we're challenged, be joyful always, rejoice always. Now, this does seem like a high expectation in our lives, right? I'm sure that we all have our things going on in our lives. that we're like, but, right, well, so does the audience. They are currently being persecuted, okay? That's their situation. And yet Paul still says to them, "Be rejoice always. He's speaking from a place of Jesus' teachings. See, Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5 to his disciples and those who are listening on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of, my right- because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those when people insult you, who persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the the same way they persecuted the prophets who were were before you. This is Jesus compelling us, lived out by the apostles. We see it in Acts chapter 5. After the disciples, they had been beaten by the Sanhedrin and then they leave the Sanhedrin. And then they, it says, they rejoiced after being beaten because they counted it worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts 16, it talks about how Paul and Silas were praying songs and, or praying and, and singing hymns while in prison, joyful. In the New Testament, we see letter after letter after letter after letter after letter that talks about being joyful in suffering. It's not that these people haven't suffered. Now, in Scripture, it gives three particular reasons why they should have joy. The first one is purpose. They had a sense of worth. And privilege, which comes because of their suffering. Because it's in the sake of Jesus' name. Their suffering had purpose. And so because they were suffering, they could find joy. Secondly, they had perspective. Maintaining an eternal perspective, an eternal look at what's before them. Not getting caught up in the temporary of life they were so focused on the kingdom of God that gave them perspective gave them their joy lastly power joy is one of the fruit of the spirit it is the function of the holy spirit to empower christians to rejoice a natural a natural result a supernatural result of having the Holy Spirit fill our lives is joy. But the reality is there are terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, right? That is the reality. Does anybody know the book? Hopefully, yes, good. It is a movie, you're right. Alexander and the Terrible Horrible Horrible No Good Very Bad Day. I have the book in my office if anybody wants to read it. Anyways, let's move on. Okay, so the reality is is there are hard days. The reality also is is joy sometimes just doesn't come so naturally to others as it might to some. It happens. However, the command here to rejoice Always is not addressed to people who don't know suffering. It is not written from a man who is always happy because nothing happens to him. It is not written to a bunch of just happy people who don't know what it's like to suffer. It's not written in isolation from the concept of the cross, the brutality of the cross. Jesus himself knows a pain and a sadness that we will never know. We will never know that. But it says in Luke chapter 10 verse 21 that even Jesus was filled with joy through the Holy Spirit. This is our this is what we get to be called into. Our Savior has modeled this for us. And the challenge for us as modern-day followers of Jesus is to throw off the tendency to just linger and sit in our like despair. That is the challenge. Don't sit there like you're sitting in a filthy bath, right? Cuz sometimes we do it. We sit in our sadness, like we're soaking in a gross bath. And the challenge is, get out of that. Choose to be joyful. Hold on to the purpose that God has for you. Maintain the Christ-centered perspective that is yours and to live in the power that has been given to you by the Holy Spirit. That's our challenge. Now, I've heard it said um, by a contemporary theologian that the quality of our joy is a reflection of the quality of our prayer. That hits a bit hard. And if that's the case, we do have to look at, are we praying ceaselessly? If my desire is to be joyful, then I need to go back to prayer. So, now we can attempt, we can attempt to try to curate a life that uh, has nothing in it that doesn't spark joy, right? Like we can choose, we can try to create a pleasant life for ourselves. We can try to say, I'm not going to hang out with that person because they make me feel uncomfortable, right? And I'm not going to go to that church because they don't sing the songs that I like, or I'm not going to do that thing because, well, that just doesn't give me joy, right? We can try to curate this life and avoid the things that are difficult, and that will work for a little while. It will, right? We will avoid the discomforts of life if we work hard enough that's a surface level solution to a much deeper level issue. And eventually we're going to have to go and deal with that level, lower level or deeper level issue. Because quite frankly, it isn't God's will for us to just live in bliss, like unavoiding or avoiding anything that makes us feel uncomfortable or sad or mad. Right? Our ability to rejoice in the midst of those things is God's will for our lives. So we can't curate a life devoid of stress and suffering. Richard Foster, who is sort of the grandpappy of spiritual disciplines, he he writes and he says that to curate joy, so to actually create joy in our life, is A constant choosing. It's a chosen way of living and thinking. It is saying to your soul what we sang tonight, come on, my soul, don't get shy on me. That's what this is. That's what rejoicing always looks like. So, Rejoicing always is a prayerful, inspired choice that we make day after day after day. And then he says, give thanks in all things. Before I move on, is anybody cold? Okay. Thanks, Kirsten. So, give thanks in all circumstances, even when you're freezing. Okay, so Paul practices this because we're talking about mimicking and modeling, right? So, what does Paul show us? In almost every single one of his letters, Paul starts off and says, I thank God for you. And then in Philippians 4, he talks about how he's content. In his, in, in his situation and in his life, regardless of the situations. Um, in Romans 8, Paul talks about how he's completely convinced that his life is in God's strong hands. Therefore, he can be thankful even in suffering. Now, what Paul knows to be true for his own life, he knows it's true for the lives of those in the church of Thessalonica. And he points out to them things that they can be thankful for. He says in chapter one, he says, you've been rescued from God's wrath. You can be thankful for that. He says that one day you will join the Savior for all of eternity in chapter four. And in chapter three, he says, you are strengthened by the presence of God. What incredible things to be thankful for, not just for that church, but for us. Again, a distinction needs to be made like we made with joy that like, you know, life isn't perfect. A distinction needs to be made here about thankfulness that we're not being thankful for everything. We're being thankful in everything. There's a difference. We're not thankful for war. That's a terrible thing to be thankful for. But we can be thankful in the midst of war. We can be thankful in the midst of it. Paul encourages the church to mimic him, just like what he saw and what he knew Jesus did. So the night that Jesus was betrayed, right, at the the last supper, he's just been, he's just identified, bless you, he's just identified Judas as the one who's going to betray him. And they still, what I think is incredible about that situation is things keep carrying on like that's not the end of the of the scene like things just keep going you're gonna disown me you're gonna betray me let's have a meal (laughs) how strange but that's Jesus man amazing so what he does is he's betrayed and then he says let's let's have some bread together He took the bread, he gave thanks, and he distributed it to his disciples. He said, Take and eat this bread, because it's my body. Now, that giving thanks isn't a quick, roll off the tongue, easy meal prayer, right? He just, he knows, he pointed out who's gonna disown him, who's gonna betray him. And he knows that when he says, this is my body, he's saying, yeah, this is my body. This is my torture. This is my suffering. This is your sin on me. And I gave thanks for this. So Jesus showed us to give thanks in all things. With choosing joy always, Giving thanks is totally dependent on our prayerful perspective. It's communion with God that shifts us to a place of gratitude. If we're not communing with him, we can't see it. We, don't, we choose not to see what is to be grateful for. I have a quote up here, which is super tiny. So if you have incredible vision, you can read along with me or you can just listen. Yeah, teeny tiny. Hang on, it's a biggie. It says this. The obligation of gratitude, which I love that, that right there, the obligation to gratitude, often neglected by us, is singularly, earnestly, and frequently enjoyed by by those in the New Testament. I am afraid that the average Christian does not recognize its importance as an element in their Christian experience. As directed to the past, it means that we do not forget, but that as we look back, we see the meaning of these old days and their possible blessings and the loving purpose which sent them a great deal more clearly than we did whilst we were pressing through them. The mountains that were, when we were close to them, are barren rock and cold snow, glow in the distance with royal purples. And so if we, from our standing point in God, will look back on our lives, losses will disclose themselves as gains. Sorrows as harbingers of joy. Conflict as a means of peace. The crooked things will be straight and the rough places plain. And we may for everything and then in everything give thanks. The encouragement from Paul here is like the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, Look at the, look at the lilies of the fields. Look at the birds. I'll take care of them. I take care of them. I'll take care of you. This challenge from Paul is like saying, turn your eyes to the one who meets the need. Change your perspective. And when we look at the one who meets the need, we are forever grateful. That is the will of God. That's the will of God. I'm gonna ask the band to come on up. So there's this book called, The 99% Invisible City. It's super cool. It's all about how things are designed and the implications on the ripple effects because of the design. It's really, really cool. Now, the book just came out a couple of years ago, 2020, but the creator of the book has had a podcast for the last 12 years. So there's this podcast on office furniture. Office furniture. So back in the 60s, yeah. So back in the 60s, there was um, a big like boom of white-collar Uh, like white, white collar professions. And so there was this uh, interesting thing that happened in offices. And we, maybe we've seen this in like TV shows or movies where like this big, massive room, and then like all on the perimeter of the room are the offices of the important people. And then all the inside is like all the regular people doing all their jobs. And there's like the typewriters and it's loud. And there's, Busy, busy, busy. Do you have that picture in your mind? You got it? Okay, so that's the problem. It's getting so busy in the interior of the office that they need to, like there's something that needs to get fixed. So there's this designer by the name of Robert Prost. And he comes up with this brilliant design. It's called Action Office. Action Office. And so his whole idea is, like a, like a modular office okay so he's he's planned for like a standing desk and a movable file system little spots to have like a little ca- like sort of like cafe seating for like mini conferences there's like over these created like soundproofing spaces for conversations on the phone, and, and he's designed it so that it's modular and things can shift and move to, um, to address the needs of the company. He had two specific like things that couldn't and shouldn't happen with his design. The first was that they were never these partitions, were never meant to be static. They were always supposed to be movable. The second thing was they had like, some of them had like walls, like like a partition wall, you know, that's like sort of like a sound barrier, maybe like this high. They were never meant to be put together at a 90 degree, ever. So There were some really specific design things. It was never supposed to be like that. It was always meant to be like this, like, hexagonal, maybe shape. It was to be fluid. Well, the powers that be didn't like the idea of the individuality or the creativity of action office. So what they did was they took the components of action office and they moved them to 90 degrees and they made them static. And that is how cubicles came about. Cubicles were never ever meant to be like that, ever. In fact, Prost was horrified horrified that his invention which was intended to actually liberate the american office worker was used to fence them in how does this all relate okay paul's instructions here for leadership is rejoice always pray continually Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will. Concepts and commands, these concepts and commands were meant to liberate us. They were meant to bring freedom to us. Pray, pray continually. It's not just for this time. You don't just have to do it this way. It's not just these people. Pray continually. Rejoice always. Experience the freedom of what it means to actually be joyful always. Be thankful always. To experience the goodness of God all the time so that you would be in gratitude always. This was always meant to liberate the church and to liberate us. And yet, we must be careful because we have a tendency to take the things that God does to liberate us and make it fixed. We make it fixed. So don't like, just my, this is my warning. This is my pastoral heart. Let's not, let's not go home. Let's not go to our rooms and start figuring out, okay, I'm supposed to pray all the time now. When am I gonna pray? I'm gonna pray all the time. I'm just gonna put like an earbud in my ear so that it looks like I'm talking with somebody, but I'm gonna be praying all the time, right? Like that's, that's fixed mindset. That's fixed mindset. That's not the liberty. That's not the liberation that Paul is suggesting that God is giving us. So, so I have a few sort of directives what I'd love for us to sort of do tonight. One, I'd love for us just to sit, in gratitude to worship our God who has been incredibly faithful in our lives, who has brought you through to this day. I'd love to say in gratitude. I'd also wanna encourage you to spend some time in prayer today. You know, sometimes prayer is hard and we feel like we can't get our heads around what prayer is. Can I encourage you, if that's you, don't sing. Don't sing. Take some time. Put your own words into play. Or don't say anything at all. Just listen. Take some time to pray. Give, give the prayer thing a shot. And let's, let's feather up a little bit what this prayer could be in our lives. And then this is something that I wanna just encourage us. You know, part of praying like ceaselessly means that we allow the Holy Spirit to speak within us. There are some of you who have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit this year, and you're like, I'm not actually sure like what I should do with this now, practice. Take some time, pray in the Spirit tonight. And for those of you who are like, I'd still really like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, can I encourage you? Seek the Holy Spirit. Don't don't cubicle it. Don't cubicle him. Experience the freedom of just being with the Holy Spirit. So that's what I'd love for us to do, just to take some time. Can we do that tonight? Okay, so I invite you to stand The band's gonna lead us. I'd encourage you, please feel free to move about, like take up the aisles, come up to the front. If you need a little bit of quiet, go into the foyer. But let's express our gratitude. Rejoice in the Lord. Why don't we just spend some time in the presence of God in prayer.